All right, get your Bible open to 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The bottom line up front is this. Biblical leadership transforms people so that they can do greater things than you ever could. Biblical leadership transforms people so that they can do greater things than you ever could. We are continuing on in our sermon series about biblical leadership, especially about biblical transitions from one leader to another one. Last week we spoke about Moses to Joshua. This week we're going to be speaking about David uh, to Solomon, his son. And I want you to think about a time in which you had something thrust upon you and you really didn't know what to do. Uh, For instance, back in 2012, I came here to this church and I was interviewed for this position. And I remember afterward, after the interview, which that should have been the hard part, I was standing in the driveway of the parsonage with Pastor Kevin, and he looks at me, and he goes, Tim, what do you have to offer? What do you have to offer? And I was dumbfounded. He caught me off guard. I I felt blindsided. I was like, I don't know what I have to offer. I'm only 28 years old. I was overwhelmed. It kind of reminds me of the first time that uh, I held my son in my arms as a when he was a baby, and, and I remember thinking to myself, I cannot believe that somebody's going to let me walk out of the building with this child. I have no idea what to do. Have you ever had something thrust upon you, and you had no idea what to do? Maybe it was a baby, maybe it was a, a job, or maybe it was a task at school, maybe working with a community organization. It's, it's kind of a scary feeling, not knowing what to do. But on the flip side, have you ever had something given to you, but somebody had trained you and mentored you so that you were ready to go day one? I mean, it's still scary, but having somebody mentor you and say, this is how you do it. Let me walk with you. Let me show you the ropes, and then you can do it yourself, and then you can take the lead. It's an entirely different feeling when that happens. I think we've all experienced something like that. We've all experienced when something's thrust upon us and we don't know what to do, But maybe we've all experienced it too, where something's thrust upon us and we're like, yep, I got this because I've been trained. Because somebody has taken the time to work with me. So throughout this sermon series, we're asking one question. What does biblical leadership look like? What does biblical leadership look like? And we find our first example of this in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I want to read it now. It says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I am going the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe the law that the Lord has given you. Walk in obedience to him. Keep the decrees and his commands, his laws and regulations, as is written in the book of Moses. Do this, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they faithfully walk before me with all their heart and their soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So basically what he is saying to his son Solomon is this, obey God, follow the laws, walk with God, be faithful so that you may live with him forever. Now what what David is describing here is, is sort of like a lifestyle. He's saying, okay, Solomon, imagine that God is right there right? Imagine that God is right there. What I want you to do is I want you to face toward God and keep walking toward God throughout your life. Now, over here, we have false idols. Over here, we have the sin of pride. Over here, we have lust. Over here, we have uh, gluttony. 
And, and all these different things are wanting you to walk in that direction, wanting you to walk toward pride, wanting you to walk toward gluttony, wanting you to walk toward uh, the false gods that are all around. But you know what, Solomon? I want you to keep your eye focused on God, and I want you to keep on walking straight toward Him. Don't avert your gaze. It's a lifestyle that you must keep. It's a lifestyle that you must keep. Now, David valued all these things. He knew what it was like to walk with God. He knew what it was like to love the Lord, and he wanted to establish a legacy that lasted far beyond him. He wanted his line to be established forever. But there's also one other thing that he wanted Solomon to do, something that he himself could not do, and it was to build the temple of God. Now, why wouldn't David just build the temple of God? Well, God did not allow David to build this temple. He said, David, you've shed too much blood. You're, you're not clean enough to build this temple. So what can David do if God says no? Well, here's what he can do. He can't build it, but he can prepare for it. See, David's warfare, David's um, basically destroying all the enemies, has paved the way that, so that Solomon will have peace in his time. So that Solomon will have resources in order to do all these things. And so what David does in his last years of life is he sets Solomon up for success. David provides the resources needed, gold and silver and bronze and iron, cedar from Lebanon, stones. The bottom line is this, that the temple of God was basically prefabricated, meaning all the supplies were there, so that on day one Solomon could get started. David built a team of leaders, too. He ordered all the leaders of Israel to come together to help out his son. He gave Solomon a network of people, of people resources. And this story is actually kind of cool because it's connected up with last, last week's sermon about Moses and Joshua. There's a lot of parallels here. For instance, Moses couldn't enter the promised land, just like David couldn't build a temple. Moses... His charge to his successor was be strong and courageous. David, his charge to his successor was be strong and courageous. Moses prepared Joshua for war. David prepared Solomon for the temple. Joshua entered into the promised land without his leader. Solomon built the temple of God and entered into it without David. It would take courage and strength. It would take devotion. And the promise is this, that if they would continue to stay faithful, then God would be faithful to them. But this was not a perfect transition. It sounds like it, but it was not. And so I want to give you three lessons that we find here in this text. Three lessons about leadership with this story. Number one is this. Make way for new leaders. Make way for new leaders. See, David is dying. David is dying. In 1 Kings chapter 2, <clears throat> there's this great handoff. It sounds, it sounds great. I mean, when you read the scripture that we read today, it sounds like David did everything right. But that's not the full story. In fact, if you go one chapter before this, you see that David uh, really almost lost the entire kingdom. Have you ever seen a duck on, on a pond? You know, the duck seems so calm. But underwater, his feet are furiously going. This is what's happening in this story. It seems like David is calm and collected, but beneath the surface, there's something that's happening. Let me explain. So David is in very poor health. He has this condition where he's constantly cold. 
and he has not yet given his throne up to his next son. Now, he's basically a lame duck right now. He's not able to do much of anything. And so in the absence of leadership, one of his sons, uh, Adonijah, uh, he basically lays claim to the throne. He says, okay, my, my father, he, he's on his deathbed. I'm going to lay claim. Now, Adonijah, he was entitled. Yes, he's one of the sons of David, but he was entitled. He thought, that's, that's mine. He wanted to use David's situation of him dying for his own personal benefit. He took Joab, who was David's military leader, and he said, Joab, come with me. Come on, help me out here. And Joab did. He gathers his supporters. He even grabs a priest to help him out with this, and he proclaims himself king. Now, he almost got away with it too, but Bathsheba and Nathan, the prophet Nathan, come to the king and they say, do you know what your son is doing? He's claimed the throne. And immediately what David does is he gets up and he anoints Solomon, or he has somebody anoint Solomon as king, and they crown him. And Second Kings is basically David giving the charge to Solomon. Basically knowing all these things that have just happened, he finally does relinquish the power and gives the throne to Solomon. Now, here's what's kind of cool. Uh, Adonijah, later on, he dies at the hands of Solomon. Solomon was going to let him live his life. He wasn't going to kill him because he tried to overstep him on the throne. But Adonijah didn't learn the first time. And he tries to take the throne. He tries to take a little bit of power, a little power grab here and a power grab there. And Solomon was like, that's it. And that's the very last uh, time of chaos that Solomon will ever experience as his reign as a king. See, the bottom line throughout the story is this, that David held on too long. They literally had to pry the throne from David. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 1. See, last week we talked about this, that we're only a steward of leadership. We're, we're, not, we're not the owner of it. We don't own leadership. We are leaders for a period of time, and then we're done. And David nearly messed up. Why didn't he step down? What's wrong with him? Why did he want to keep that position of king? Why didn't he give it to Solomon? I mean, he's been preparing Solomon to, to basically take over as king. He made the promise to him. Why? Why didn't he step down? Well, there's a lot of reasons why people in power don't step down. You know, one, it could be their ego. It's nice being at the top. It's nice having the power and the position. You know, also, we, we make excuses. When, when we are leading companies or leading our families or leading something, we make excuses and we say, you know what, that person, um, I would have them lead, but, you know, maybe they just need a year or two more experience. Uh, they're, they're really not ready for it yet. No one can do this quite as well as I have done it because I've done this for years now. Or we're just afraid of extinction. We're afraid that what we have built would fall apart if we we relinquished the reins of leadership. See, succession is the key to success. It's a key to survival, to be honest. Now, I'm a student of modern churches, and a lot of times what you see is modern churches are, are a lot like um, ancient or Middle, Middle East uh, kingdoms um, in that the, the kingdom is built up with one powerful person. Now, a lot of modern churches have one powerful person at the top, the preacher, the teacher, whatever it is, and they build up this church. And as soon as that person dies 
or as soon as that person leaves or they have a moral failing where they have to take them out of the church, the church oftentimes falls apart. And this happens all the time. See, we, we don't plan for our successor, and what happens is when we leave, the church falls apart. But what if David was proactive? What if he says, okay, I, I know Solomon's going to be my next leader. I'm going to anoint him even before, like, I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to anoint him, and I'm going to give him the throne, and I want this to be a peaceful and stable transition. He could have done that. Have you ever seen a leader hang on for too long? You know, you get kind of stale. You get a little bit old. You get stuck in your ways. Sometimes it's good to have some fresh life built back into the organization through a new leader. Bottom line, there comes a time when we need to make way for a new leader. And David didn't do it at first, but he was forced into it. And I I bet you if David had to redo it all, he would have just done it the first time, just given that new leader the ability to lead. Second thing that we learn is this, that there are no such thing as a perfect leader. There's no such thing as perfect leaders. David, he is a great man. He has a heart for God. He is the gold standard for all the other kings. Now, when you read through the Bible and you read the book of Kings and, and all the way through um, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and so on, you'll hear people say um, he, was like, he was like his uh, father David, or he was not like David. David is the gold standard upon which all the other kings are measured up. But David was just a man. David was just a man. In fact, he was a man who had his moral failings recorded. And here's what David did. He, he slept with a married woman, and he got her pregnant, and he killed off her husband. He failed at fathering. Uh, one of his sons, well, actually two of his sons, rebelled against him. He took a census, which is basically um, him being prideful at his own numbers. Look how big my army is. And he failed at providing a smooth transition for his son. But what makes David great? Because, you know, when you look at his resume, it's like, yeah, he did some great things, but at the same time, there are a lot of big mess-ups in David's life. What makes David great? Is it his accomplishments? Is it the fact that he united a kingdom? Is it his military conquests? No. In fact, God never praises him for any of those things. He says, no, it's, it's humility. See, there's a concept out there. It's called extreme ownership. Extreme ownership is this. When you are a leader, you must take ownership of everything that happens in your organization. And David took ownership of his own moral failings. He took extreme ownership of all of them. You know, all leaders will fail, and some great leaders will fail greatly. We should not expect perfection, but we should expect extreme ownership in their failures. And that is what made David great. When he messed up every single time, he said, you know what? That's on me. I, I admit it. I own that. I did that. You know, we know this because as children, we look at our parents and we understand as we grow up that our parents aren't perfect. You know, think back to when your parents were raising you. Their advice was not always correct. Their punishments that they gave to us were not always on point. Uh, what they allowed or what they didn't allow didn't always make sense because they were human. They are human. We as parents are fallible. And most parents will admit this. Congregation, your church leaders are not perfect. We all have some predisposition toward a certain type of sin. I want you to be very wary 
of a person or a leader who gives the impression that they live a sinless life. You know, Pastor Tom will not be perfect. I'm not perfect. Pastor Tom's imperfections will be different from mine. But the true test of a spiritual leader is this. If you're able to own your mistakes. Own your mistakes. Admit fault. Apologize to those you hurt. Learn from your mistake. And then work diligently to never do it again. See, Jesus came because none of us can follow the laws that are found within the Bible. There's no such thing as a perfect leader. But what makes a leader great is admitting their own failures and working to follow God's standards. To right the wrong that they have had and to continue to walk faithfully toward God, not away from God. The third thing we learn is this, that God's leaders set people up for success. God's leaders set people up for success. Whatever you do, um, whatever you do, whether it's, you know, you're, you're a parent or whether you own a small business or if you, you know, serve food at a, at a diner, um, whatever you do, it will continue on when you're gone. Parents will continue to parent. Uh, people will continue to uh, live their lives, to continue to uh, have jobs and do the things that you have done in your life. But the thing is, is you won't be there. We have a duty to create conditions in which our successor will be successful. We have a duty to create conditions so that our successor can be successful. We need to be able to provide resources for them. So David, what he did for Solomon was he provided people, people resources like networking. He provided the materials. He provided the money. Now, here's the thing. Davis County, we don't trust outsiders here. We do not trust the outsiders and I've told you this story before, but when I first came here eight years ago, no one trusted me. In fact, I think people were looking for ways to get rid of me because, you know, I'm an outsider. I don't fit in. Now, Bill Bride, he saw that right away, and he, he basically said, okay, Tim, we're going to go out for lunch. Once, once a month, we're going to go out for lunch, and we're going to go talk with people, and I'm going to introduce you to people. And what he did was he basically said this, I trust him now you can trust him. Basically, he said, I'm going to take you around and I'm going to give you some of my trust. I'm going to help you build relationships up with other people in this county. And it worked. It worked. Now people know me and I know them. I am known and I'm trusted. Within organizations, within organizations, there's a lot of relational capital a lot of relational networking that happens. And when you think about a leader, if you're a leader of any kind of organization, if you're a leader in some way, shape, or form, and somebody else is coming in to learn from you or to take your position someday, you might want to ask yourself this. Who does your successor need to know? If you're training somebody up, who are the people that they need to know? Who gets things done? Who really is in charge? I mean, because we have people who are in charge, but who's really in charge? Who's skilled? What relationships need to be cultivated for success? What relationships will destroy that person's soul? See, setting up for success means that the, the previous leader becomes less so that the other leader can become more. David waited to transfer power, but when he did, he stepped aside. Did you notice that? It was Solomon who took leadership after that. And 
that's fitting because my last day here at this church will be May 30th. And my last day as your pastor will be June 30th. And after June 30th, starting on July 1st, Pastor Tom will be your new pastor and I will not. I will change in my roles. I will no longer be your pastor, but I can be your friend. I can attend your wedding, but I can't officiate it. I can listen to you and your issues, your problems as a friend, but not as a pastor. And I do this to honor Pastor Tom and his leadership and his role as a spiritual mentor, as a spiritual guide pastor for you here at this church. See, as leaders, there comes a time in which our relationship will change. And in order for a new pastor or a new leader to be effective, they have to have your trust, which means that they have to have the old leader be gone. You know, you can't be parenting your adult children. I mean, some people try to do that. That's why we have people who have a failure to launch, because the parents continue to try to parent them. We can't backseat drive. You know, I do this all the time with my wife when she's trying to drive, and I'm like, hey, hey, you almost hit the curb. Nobody likes hearing that. You know, we let the driver drive. We let them take the wheel and do what they're going to do. And we see this echoed by Jesus in John 14 as he's preparing his disciples to go out, as he's preparing his disciples for the time in which he will no longer be there. He gives the disciples permission to keep doing the ministry. Jesus is going away, and he says, basically, you're going to take this up. Listen to what he says in John 14, verse 12. It says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. As a leader, you want your successor to do greater things than you. Likewise, as a parent, you want your kids to have better jobs. You want your kids to have a better family life a better life. You want them to have better um, financial um, standing than you do. We work and we work hard and diligently to set them up in their life for this hope. And as God's leaders, we need to be setting people up for success. See, I truly believe this, and I truly, I mean this when I say this. I want Pastor Tom to do greater things than I ever could. I want him to do phenomenal things. I want this church to explode with, with growth and life and activities. And I will do all that I can to set him up so that success can happen. Because here's the truth. Biblical leadership transforms people so that they can go on and do greater things. And if I'm doing my job right, I'm going to be transforming not only Pastor Tom, but I'm going to be transforming all of you so that you will be able to go out and do greater things than we ever did together. So I want to apply this to your life. And there's one phrase that, you know, every time I hear this, it always gets me. And the phrase is this, what are you doing that someone else could do? What are you doing that someone else could do? Now, I, I ask that question because David held on to the throne and I think that's a metaphor for a lot of our lives. We hold on to something. We want to keep that control. We want to keep our spot at the top. We want to keep our position and our power. So what are you holding on to in your life? I'll be honest with you. I hold on to things too. Um, here at this church, for example, I hold on to the website. Uh, I, I designed the website. I want it to look a certain way. I want it to feel a certain way when you go there. And so I'm, I'm very reluctant to give that over to somebody else. 
Um, I hold on to recording and processing and editing the sermon. I, I, I feel like I'm the only one who knows how to do it, and if I don't do it, then no one else will. In the after-school ministry and youth group, uh, I, I hold on to that as well. I want it to work. I want it to work so much. So I'm like, I, I have to keep it going. I have to keep going. It depends on me. But you know what? When I say these things, when I say no one else can do it, or no one else wants to, or no one else has the time, it all comes from fear. The fear is this, that if I do not do it, then no one will. But what if? What if, me, what if me holding on, you know, keeping my tight grip around it, is keeping other people from taking the lead? What if I'm holding on to a ministry or ministries that God is no longer blessing? And I'm saying, but God, but God, I, I can change it. I can make it work. What if somebody else has a new vision? Or what if somebody else has a passion for something and they, they need me to let go of my passion so that they can pursue their passion. What if I'm holding on to something that must die so that God can resurrect it and make it new? What are the things that you are holding on to? What are the things that you are doing that somebody else can do? You know, my son, for the longest time, I told him, you can't mow the lawn. I told him the reason why you can't mow the lawn is because we have a riding lawnmower, and if you were to run over a rock or a tree stump and, and you hurt the riding lawnmower, I'd be very upset, and I don't want to be upset at you. And so I'll just do it myself. I was afraid. I was afraid. But you know what? It's, it's kind of nice because now he's allowed to go out and mow the lawn. He, he actually enjoys it. And I enjoy him mowing the lawn because I hate mowing the lawn. Life is better because I allowed him to take that leadership role on. Likewise, at our house, we have a chore chart. And what we have done is we've taken all the chores in our household and we've given each chore to a certain kid. And that's their thing to do. And if they do it, then they get a commission. They get paid for it. You know how nice it is to have five people in the house cleaning and picking up and cleaning out turtle tanks and you know, all these other things, things that I don't want to do. You know how nice it is to have everybody working together and doing their own thing? You know, I will gladly pay the commission for the chore chart because I release that so that they can go out and do that. And you know what? It gives them purpose and it gives them meaning as well. It's better when we're able to let go of things and let other people do things. So what are you doing that somebody else can do? in your job, in your family, in your community, in your life. You know, we all have a hard time giving away our power. But what would it look like? What would it look like? Just imagine what this world would be like if we set somebody else up for success. If we passed the baton off to the next generation. If we provided the materials and the financial resources. If we cultivated a network of people who could help. See, Jesus told the disciples, Go out and you will do greater things than I did. Get out of the way. What would it look like if we got out of the way so that the next generation could rise up and they could do greater things? Biblical leadership transforms people so that they can go on and do things that are greater than you ever could have imagined. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
this word. We thank you that you have taught us so much about leadership within your word. And we thank you for uh, the ability that we have to learn it and to indwell it and live it out in our way, in our life in very practical ways. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and how he has died for us. And through your Holy Spirit, he enables us to go forward as your people, your resurrected people who can get rid of all the pride, get rid of all the things that weigh us down, and we can simply let other people rise up and we don't have to feel uncomfortable that they're taking away our power because we know, Lord, that you are good, that ultimately you are in control. And so, Lord, we ask that we will continue to make leaders, that we will let them uh, work and thrive in ministry and in life and help us to see ways that we can give away our power so that other people can take up leadership roles and be fulfilled in this life. We pray this in your powerful name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.